0: Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a placement for face-to-face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. son of man has come, eating and drinking, and as critics say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. There is no greater love than this, to lay down your life for your friends. stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Well, good morning, everybody. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. Welcome to the sleep-in service. We're glad that you are here. The intro video that we have been showing over the last eight or nine weeks captures regular ordinary moments I think sometimes we're under the misconception and the misperception that Jesus only shows up in places like church or somewhere where we're having a spiritual conversation instead of the reality of the fact that he shows up in the regular day-to-day coffee-drinking moments of the Pacific Northwest. I love the fact that Jesus, our friend of sinners, enters into the sacred space of our regular ordinary lives, which prompts a question for this weekend. Where have you seen Jesus over the past seven days? Where did he show up when you didn't expect him to and, and, and kind of just, just, just pervaded a particular moment that, and, and you, you didn't think he was actually gonna be there, but all of a sudden, there he was. I saw Jesus in a young life leader at Seahome Starbucks that wrapped his arm around a middle school kid and simply said to him, I'm here for you. I saw Jesus in a really difficult forgiveness conversation between a husband and a wife. He just showed up. I saw Jesus in the comforting touch of a nurse who put her hand on the shoulder of a patient who just found out that they were going to die. I saw Jesus in a church that canceled pretty much all of their programs on this Tuesday and Wednesday. So that we could provide a safe space for the law enforcement family of Whatcom County in this state to come and grieve the loss of a friend, a boss, and a mentor. And every time I noticed Jesus showed up, something happened inside of me. I just whispered the words, That's him. That's him recognizable and obvious. I saw Jesus because I was looking for him. Here's my question. If Jesus showed up in a place that you weren't expecting him, could you pick him out of a crowd? I mean, do you know him well enough to identify and recognize him at first sight? I mean, if Jesus showed up and and asked you to identify him, could you answer the question, who do you say that I am? Jesus actually asked that profound question to his own disciples. The Bible says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the Son of of the living God. Can you put yourself in that moment for just a second? I mean, Jesus is just staring at them uncomfortably and ask them the question, who are people saying that I am? And and the silence is deafening. Everybody gets really quiet and then somebody starts stammering. Well, some people think you're, you might be like John the Baptist and and that's kind of interesting. Others are saying Elijah, one or two have said like Jeremiah, we're pretty sure you're a prophet because you've pulled off some pretty cool stuff. And there's a small sigh of relief because everybody's like, I think we got the answer right. I think we got the answer right. And then Jesus is never finished. And he puts his crosshairs on Peter and looks at Peter. I can imagine Peter like, like, (laughs) I knew he was going to ask me, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, I think you're the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. It's a pretty personal question, isn't it? Who is Jesus to me? Not grant the pastor, just grant. Who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to you? I think before we try and answer that question, we should probably ask whether or not Jesus would like to answer that for himself. Would you pray with me? Father God, right now, would you identify yourself to us? Would you show us who you are in a new, beautiful, and creative way? God, would you break up our ideas, thoughts, and, 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 and presuppositions about you? God, we open our heart to allowing you to speak for yourself today. May we leave this room completely changed because of what it is you're about to reveal to us about yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Anybody else in the room suffer from allergies? You got it? No, all of us. That's kind of crazy. I mean, these days just drive me crazy, right? I mean, there's mold everywhere. All of the dust in my furnace is now getting kicked up, and it's just like invading every corner of my house. And, and, uh, and, and you know, so we've got that kind of perpetually red eyes and the runny nose and all that stuff going on. Uh, several years ago, in fact, several, I mean, years ago, I decided it was time to, to go after my allergies. So I entered into a process called immunotherapy. For two years, twice a week, I walked into an allergist's office and they injected me with the very allergy, the the very allergic type of of, of material that I I responded and reacted to. Their hope was to desensitize me to the very things that made me sick as a dog for the spring and the fall. And so I would walk in and they would take this little tiny syringe and they would poke underneath of my skin and they would put beautiful things like cat dander (laughs) and cedar and grass. I'm pretty much allergic to the air. That's kind of how it works. They would inject it under my skin and then they would watch me for 30 minutes to make sure that I didn't have some kind of an anaphylactic reaction to what it was that was going on. And when you have an opportunity to sit in the same doctor's office for two times a week, 30 minutes at a time, this is what happens. You read every magazine they have from cover to cover because they never change them. At least they didn't in this particular doctor's office. So I was reading these magazines, and what was interesting to me is I hit upon three major magazines, all of which were doing a historical perspective or expose on the historical Jesus. And I read every single one of them, and I reacted very quietly and privately as I read these magazine articles, and this was my response. That's not him. That is not him. I compiled some of the statements from the magazines. Jesus was, in fact, a beatnik poet whose ramblings were simply at the right place and at the right time. Jesus was an emotionally troubled soul whose inner battles simply touched those who were struggling with the same issues. Jesus was one of a long list of political activists whose plans went awry, and he met his end as so many of them did. Jesus was nothing more than a great teacher. I read those statements, and I did not respond from my head. I responded from my heart, and my response was simple. That's not him. That's not the Jesus that I know. Jesus was not a beatnik poet. His teachings have comprised the moral teaching of the world for more than 2,000 years. He had no political ambitions. Instead, he was consumed with the mission of reuniting lost people with a God who loved them. Was he a predominantly troubled soul? Absolutely. But this is what troubled him. What troubled him was the tension of watching hurting people looking for answers in all of the wrong places. His name was Jesus, the Son of God so different than those blanket statements that came out of the articles. The Jesus of the Bible is so much different than that. And we've been learning a different perspective on Jesus and allowing Jesus to speak for Himself because we believe around here that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father unless you go through Him first. I saw Jesus this week in an interaction between a father and a son. They gave me permission to share their story. They haven't spoken in a couple of years. There's been tension inside of their family. And they asked me if I could just meet with them and, and see whether or not we could get to a place of reconciliation. I said, sure. It's kind of what we do. And especially after listening to myself preach about truth-telling last week. I know that's weird, but sometimes I actually listen to what I say. It's kind of strange. But... And I thought, sure, this could be an opportunity to do some truth-telling So we went and sat down in a local coffee shop, and I listened to them both blame shift for about an hour, and then I had a really, really good Jesus moment, and this is what I said in a very godly, calm way. Knock it off! (laughs) (laughs) And they both looked at me, and I said, so you guys know I love you, right? Like, I love you both. They said, yeah. I said, so here's the deal. It's been a really long week. I'm kind of tired. I'm a little out of patience. Apparently, I'm out of grace, and... and Because what just happened, what came out of me, that was not him. But I, I, I kept going. And I told the son, I said, so here's the deal. Your dad didn't betray your trust. In fact, he was actually trying to protect you. So do your family a favor, smarten up, and ask for forgiveness. And he did. And as he apologized, dad had kind of a little smug look on his face. So I said, and for you, you've been arrogant. You should have come to your son in humility a long, long time ago. So you need to ask for forgiveness too. And he did. And when I left them in the coffee shop, there were words and tears and healing flowing. And I said something in my heart. That's Jesus. <laughs> That's him. Nobody can pull that kind of stuff. That's him. When we make space for Jesus, he shows up and his presence is palpable because we recognize that's him. About two decades ago, I was a college pastor here at Christ the King Church. We took a group of college students to Los Angeles, California. We spent an evening doing ministry on Hollywood Boulevard. The later you stay out on Hollywood Boulevard, the more interesting the people become. That's how it works. And there were some girls on our team who went out in a team of three. They took food along with them and they met a guy by the name of Bandana Jimmy. I can see him in my head right now. Bandana Jimmy was a little skeptical about who these people were and why they were trying to love on him. He had very thick walls built up because of hurt and mistrust and people taking advantage of him. But these three girls from CTK just kept chipping away at these thick walls with love and concern. And one of them, a girl by the name of Emily, actually gave Jimmy permission to do something he'd never done before, grieve the loss of his mom. And I will never forget the picture of Emily allowing a grown man to lean on her shoulder and cry his eyes out as he poured out years of pain. That's Jesus. (laughs) That's him. That's the Jesus that I know. The Jesus that comes and allows us to pour out all of our stuff and just keeps chipping away at those thick emotional walls so that we can come into that moment when we have an epiphany. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And we're all sinners. He's a God who loves unconditionally. And I think the world has an issue with that. They don't like the fact that Jesus wants to associate with those kind of people. So they've tried desperately to change the slant on Jesus. They've tried to either strip away his godliness or attack his humanity. I mean, just like I read in the articles, I read my Bible, I read their accounts, and I cannot for the life of me figure it out. How did the story change so much? But I think I have an idea now. So years ago, I had an opportunity to go to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I was there with a friend of mine named Dave, and we wanted to go see the Liberty Bell. And I was excited because, you know, we, we had at that time just completed our American citizenship test. And the Liberty Bell is a big part of the history. And I was pretty excited about it. I mean, I'm just like, I want to go see the Liberty Bell. And I don't know why, but I'd created kind of a mystique about this bell. I mean, I didn't know the story behind it. So I thought, you know, it's the bell with the crack in it. And I just thought to myself, like, I think the crack must have happened. Like, the first time the bell rang out, something to do with Paul Revere. And, you know, when liberty and justice for all finally came and settled in this country that, I don't know, lightning struck the bell or something in the, in the tower. And, and it was just a really, really big deal. And I had this story built up in my head that somehow this, this bell was so unbelievably significant until I got to the national park where they housed the liberty bell. And this little park ranger, who looked like he just rolled out of bed, wearing like a Washington State Patrol kind of hat, comes and stands beside the bell and says, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Liberty Bell exhibit. We're glad that you're here today. Some of you are under the grand illusion that the crack in the bell happened because they were ringing out the sounds of liberty and justice for all. Well, that's not true. Actually, they cut the bell and the crack in the bell on purpose to remove an annoying buzzing sound that happened every time they rang the bell. Thank you so much for coming to our time today. Like, dude, you just totally wrecked my Americana. I mean, it's gone. (laughs) What did you just do to my story? I think so many of us get stuck there because I think some of us have heard about Jesus so long and so often we are overly familiar and the stories have just lost their beauty. So maybe some of you are here today and you need to come back to the Jesus of scripture, to be reminded that he is everything the Bible says and more. My prayer is that today we'll have an opportunity to reconnect with the Jesus that we know. And I, I would never assume that there, everyone in the room actually knows the Jesus. We're going to talk about it. I hope and pray that for some of you, this is the first time you get to meet the real Jesus of the Bible. But I also know that there's competition in the room. And so this is what's going to happen. The second we start talking about the Jesus of the Bible, the voice of accusation is going to start up in your head. And then it's going to drop 18 inches into your heart. And the voice of accusation is going to say this. You can't know him because he doesn't want to know you. You're too broken. You've got too much of a past. Amazing grace is for everybody else in the room, but it's not for you. You can't possibly know him. And the unfortunate thing about the voice of accusation and that it's it's often accompanied by a voice that comes from ourselves, which is the voice of shame that says, you know what? I think you might actually be right. I think I might be too broken for him. But my prayer today is that over top of the voice of accusation and the voice of shame, that right through the center of it cuts the voice of truth. I hope and pray you hear Jesus today saying, you can know me. You can know me. I want to know you. So let me give you four insights into Jesus, the friend of sinners, that I hope will will, will touch a place in your heart. Here's the first one. Jesus, a friend of sinners, is a friend who knows how I feel. No matter how you walked in the door today, God knows every single thing about every emotion that's coursing through your mind right now, whether it's good or bad. There's something wonderful about having a God who knows how you feel. In the J.B. Phyllis translation of the Bible, Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we have no superhuman high priest to whom our weaknesses are unintelligible. He himself has shared fully in all of our experience of temptation, except that he never sinned. One of my favorite authors is Max Lucado. I've read everything that Max has ever written. And he tells the story of after he released the book, God Came Near, that he did a book signing and a lady came walking into the book signing, walked up to the table, slammed the copy of his book down in front of him. Apparently, she didn't want an autograph and said this, my God didn't have pimples. (laughs) Lucado knew exactly what she was talking about. Let me read the paragraph from the book that set this lady off. Max writes, Jesus may have had pimples. He may have been tone deaf. Perhaps a little girl down the street had a crush on him. Could have been that his knees were bony. One thing is for sure. He was, while completely divine, completely human. Max writes about the lady's response. He goes, I can completely relate to her discomfort. We quickly fix a crack in the stained glass We rub away any smudges on the altar. There's something safe about a God that never had calluses. There's something awesome about a God who never felt pain. There's something majestic about a God that never scraped his elbow. But there's also something cold about a God who can't relate to what you and I feel. And he concluded with these words If I had a moment with that lady, I would ask her, Jesus may not have had pimples but don't you hope that he could have? The Bible describes the Jesus that I know as a man of grief, sorrow, pain, loneliness, disillusionment, at times anger. He felt it. I love knowing that because it means this. Have you ever been stabbed in the back by a friend? If Jesus was here, he could say, me too. Have you ever felt tempted or felt completely misunderstood by people that are supposed to know you? Jesus would say, I've been there, me too. If you've ever felt completely alone and isolated, Jesus would say to you, me too. Which means... When the pain of this life bubbles out of us, he knows the source of the pain and can give me both comfort and answers. Revelation 21 verse 4 says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Make no mistake, one day, I hope and pray very soon, Jesus is coming back and he's going to crush cancer and he's going to crush blindness, and he's going to reunite families. He's going to put brothers and sisters back together again. He's going to reconcile mothers and fathers. He's going to put all of the pieces back together again, and if you know him, the second it happens, you're going to be able to say, that's him. That's the Jesus that I know. Let's keep moving. Jesus, our friend of sinners, is also a God who laughs with me, not at me. Back when he was little, uh, Braden uh, and our family used to spend a lot of time at the tide pools in Birch Bay, right? Just a lot of fun things to, to check out and see and, you know, it smells really bad and the mud's horrible, but it's just kind of a, it's a great experience for kids. We used to go out there and I remember one time we were walking back together through the tide pools and Braden fell a little bit behind and, and I heard, hit my ears, the sickening sound of human skin on hard sand. It's just like splat. Braden bit it. That's the only way that I can put. He hit the sand hard. And when I turned around, I saw him pick himself up. And he had this huge grin on his face. And he kind of shrugged his shoulders. And he said, I'm practicing my falling. (laughs) And I reacted the same way you did. We just laughed about it. I mean, we laughed about it. And then I thought to myself, how many times... Have I felt that when I fell down, God laughed at me? That he was refereeing my pain, and then when I got knocked down, he would laugh at me. Can I tell you something? If you believe that God laughs at you, that's not him. That's not him. As a dad, I took no pleasure in witnessing Braden fall down. Nothing inside of me said, good, now you learned your lesson. Life's full of holes, you better get used to it. Nothing inside of me did that. There was no excitement in the fact that he fell. But I'll tell you what, there was amazing pleasure and pride when I watched my little guy stand back up again and dust himself off and decide to be a victor instead of a victim. You know what I loved the most? He laughed at the hole. That's the best you got? Well, kick salt water out of you and go kick rocks. I mean, I just loved the fact that he responded in the moment, Jesus never laughs at you. He laughs with you with you. I mean the Jesus that I know when I read Scripture, he loved to laugh. You know how I know that? It's because of the way he tells stories. One of my favorite stories in Scripture is there was a foolish man who tried to build a house on sand. didn't work. It was a wise man that built his house on the solid rock, the solid foundation of God. And storms came and blew against it, and it didn't move a single inch. You know why I love that story? It's because of where Jesus told it. Jesus is standing on the side of the Sea of Galilee. According to the geographic location that the Bible gives us, directly behind him, in the background as his backdrop, there was a Roman proconsul a head of government who had tried three different times to build a house on the beach and it collapsed every single time because the storms that come to the Sea of Galilee, they just tear stuff apart. So just picture it for a second. Now that you know right behind Jesus is this pile of ruins from a three times, a failed construction project. Now put Jesus in front of that crowd saying, yeah, there was this idiot They kept trying to build his house on the sand. But there was a wise man who built his house on the solid foundation of God. And even though storms kicked up and waged against it, it never moved an inch. The Bible says... Psalm 147 verse 11, his pleasure is not in the strength of a horse nor his delight in the legs of a warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him. And when you see the word fear him in scripture, don't think I'm afraid. Think awesome respect. Think absolute awe. The Lord delights in those who fear him. Some of you actually are under the misconception that when you rolled out of bed this morning, God's response was, wow, here's another day. We all know how this is going to go. My Bible says that Jesus delights in you. He couldn't wait for you to take your first breath this morning. He's just like, I've got all this whole day mapped out. We're going to walk through this together. We're probably going to have some, some moments where, where my son or my daughter might trip and fall, but boys are going to pick themselves back up again. I'm not, I will never laugh at them. We will laugh our way through this if they choose joy. That's him. That's him. Let's keep going thirdly. Jesus, the friend of sinners, was a man who knew when to call home. In between two years of college, in order to try and raise enough money to get back to school, I went tree planting in northern British Columbia. It was horrible. Worst job ever. Trees, bugs, and bears. That's all it was. There were days I would go weeks without showering because there was nothing to shower in. And you would work 16 hours a day, repeating the identical motion thousands upon thousands of times. I mean, when you did that over and over and over again, you kind of lost a certain edge, right? The, the, it, it was just bad. It was horrible. It was lonely, hard, backbreaking work. And then to top it all off, I got a condition called Giardia. We called it beaver fever. It was not pretty, okay? Sick as a dog. I got taken to the hospital in Prince George. And they gave me some antibiotics. I got put up in a hotel for the night. And I remember calling home. I remember talking to my dad. My dad was a business owner. I said, dad, I'll come home and work for a dollar an hour if you just get me out of here. Get me out of here. There's tree planters in the room. I know it. I can see the looks on your faces. Oh, my goodness. It's horrible. And I remember my dad listening to me. And then I heard him say, you'll be all right. God's got you there for a reason. You'll be home soon enough. You know, the Bible says that Jesus would often withdraw into a solitary place to pray. You know what he was doing, don't you? He was calling home, talking to his dad. It's gonna be okay. You're there on purpose, it's not a mistake. We have a bigger mission that's going on here. Be faithful, you'll be home soon. Some of you are so discouraged because of the brokenness of the world and I feel your pain. Can I give you the best news ever? Someday, hopefully soon, Jesus is coming back and you will never be homesick again. That tension in your heart, it's because you don't belong here. This is not your home. Scripture says we are like aliens and strangers here on this planet. But while we're here, there's a purpose that needs to happen. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, Since God assured us, I'll never let you down, never walk off and leave you. We can boldly quote, God is there ready to help. I'm fearless no matter what. Who or what can get to me? Nothing. Nothing. Let's wrap this up. Jesus, a friend of sinners, is a God who accepts me. Warts and all. If you think you're perfect, we have a class in denial we need you to take. (laughs) Everybody in this room, we got spiritual warts on our souls. That's just the way that it works. And in spite of that, I love the fact that God uses the word adoption when referring to how God wants to welcome us into his family. Ephesians 1 verse 5 is the famous adoption verse. It says, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. we got a lot of stories today. It's all right. Let me give you a couple more. In between two years of college, when I wasn't tree planting, I I canceled at a a camp called Cedarwood, and that's where I met a kid named Danny Fingerson. Danny was amazing. But he came with a lot of of baggage. Part of the baggage was, was... He was adopted, and and he never knew what to do with that. My job on Tuesday nights was to tell and teach the kids through a talk that was called, Jesus, a friend who'll never leave you. And I shared that night how God wanted to adopt children that nobody else wanted, all of us. And after I was done that night, Danny came to the front with his Bible journal. We gave every kid a journal so they could kind of write out their journey throughout the week. And he related this statement to me. He said, I've dealt my whole life with the idea that my real parents rejected me. I was consumed by it. It owned me. But I choose now to look at it in a different way. There's something awesome about being picked by someone who had the choice to pick anybody else. But they wanted you. That's him, and he wants you. And right away we started objecting, but yeah, you don't know my past. Yes, he does. You don't know how many times I've rejected the message. Yes, he does. You have no idea how many years I've wasted. Yes, he does. And Jesus says, my invitation is open to you until the day I come back. Because I'd love to give you nothing more than adoption papers today. If you ask me the question, who do you say that Jesus is? Or if Jesus asked me, who do you say that I am? That would be my list. Because every one of those points is something that I've had the opportunity to live out and live through. Who do you say that he is? Let me wrap up. In the very first church that Laurel and I pastored, uh, we had a guy by the name of Mike. Mike was a tough guy. He had a tough crust. His life and his heart had been hardened by brushes with the law. He had an on-again, off-again battle with alcohol. And and if you talk to Mike, he would say, I left a trail of broken relationships everywhere that I went. But in Emmanuel Evangelical Free Church, Mike found Jesus. And I watched as Jesus, the friend of that sinner, which, by the way, Jesus is a friend of every sinner in the room. I watched him transform Mike. Mike was an artist. In fact, he would do these beautiful glass etchings. It was a very complex process. He would mask off entire sheets of glass, and then he would sandblast a a layer, and then he would peel it off and remask it and then take off another layer. I mean, it was unbelievably intricate and difficult work. And one day, Bill Lurch, who was one of our associate pastors, came and said, hey, Mike has a gift that he wants to give to the church, and Pastor Jim Scoby, who was our senior pastor, said, well, we should probably go and look at it. So we went to Mike's shop, and we looked at this beautiful picture. The picture had two men. One was kneeling in front of the other. And you could tell the desperation in the man who was kneeling on the ground because of how tightly he was gripping the robe of the man that was in front of him. The man who was standing, who was obviously supposed to be Jesus, had his hand on the top of the man's head, and the other hand was reached towards heaven. And at the bottom of the glass etching was this inscription, Jesus, friend of sinners. Mike gave it as a gift, and the Church of Emmanuel put it up in the commons. It was actually in, we called it the foyer up in Canada. And I used to love standing beside the picture on Sunday mornings, because people would always do exactly the same thing. They would look at the picture, and then they would walk towards it and touch it. I actually have a picture of it. I had some friends from Manitoba take a picture. It's about seven feet tall. It's huge. But you'll notice on the left, there's the man kneeling in front of Jesus. It says at the bottom there, Jesus, friend of sinners. The picture on the right is you can see the desperation of the man because of how he's gripping onto that robe. It's like it's like he's holding on for dear life. But I want you to notice something else. The picture in the center right up at the top. If you look out at the wrist of the hand, do you see the little circle? It's about the size of a nail. And I used to love to stand on Sunday mornings because people would do the same thing. They'd come and they'd look at the picture for a long time and then it was like something drew them to do the same thing over and over and over again. They'd walk up and put their finger right in the hole. One morning, a man from our church who was suffering from cancer, his name was Henry Gertzen, walked up to the picture. Henry didn't have... Long to live. And I watched him do what so many did walk up and put his finger right in the hole. And I watched the comfort and peace of God wrap around him. And as Henry turned to walk away, I, I said, It's beautiful, isn't it? And he said, It is beautiful. He pointed at the man on the ground. He goes, It's beautiful because that's me. And he pointed. At the nail-pierced hand of the man standing in the picture, he goes, and that, that, that's him. My prayer today is that you will have an intimate encounter with a God who knows your heart. That your soul would be completely open and that you would know today the magazines are wrong. Wrong. my prayer is that you would know that Jesus is there for you when you hurt. That he will laugh with you, not at you. That you can call home any time, day or night. And that today he wants nothing more than to give you adoption papers that say you belong to him. Whether you're hearing that for the first time or the thousandth time, my prayer is today we would truly see him as Jesus, friend of sinners. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the church family. Lord, I pray that we would have seen Jesus and only Jesus, that we would have heard Jesus and only Jesus today. God, would you silence the voices of accusation and shame. May we know how you see us, how you love us, and how desperately you want to heal us today. I thank you that you are him, Jesus Christ, the King. I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.